Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the uh, church tonight. It's always a privilege to be in the Lord's house, especially when you can you can fellowship and worship together with fellow Christians. That's what's exciting. Um, as we start off this evening's service, uh, I ask that you uh, turn and stand to uh, hymn number 317, one of my favorite songs. Uh, we'll sing all four verses. Father, as we come once again in your house, singing these praises and hearing your word brought forth, we pray, Lord, you might just be glorified through uh, what is said and done here. We pray you might be with each of those families that are represented here. We pray you might just be glorified in everything that we do and say as Christians. And we ask, Father, you might just feed us tonight. We might hear your word, and Father, you might reveal your truth through your spirit this evening. Pray these favors in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's and a mean a way of announcements tonight is again um, just remind you about if if uh, if you're a lady any ladies in the house 
Okay, this is your cue to say raise your hand. Okay, you're not a not a grill. You're a lady, right? So if you're a lady, uh, there's women's Bible study tomorrow, one o'clock. So please take note of that. Grief share uh, on Tuesday at one, and again be back here on Wednesday evening for the for the uh, good Bible study that we have each week. And it says uh, ladies ladies craft night on Friday. Is that accurate? I, I thought so. That's why I didn't announce it this morning. I thought, well, maybe it's just a typo. Okay, so unless you ladies want to come out and make some crafts, huh? hey, we're game. Yeah, that's right. We'll make it happen. Um, but you know, it's good news about about Reverend Price. Isn't it? It's real great news, actually. He actually sent or Sunday sent me a picture tonight of him with his two doctors, and when you saw that, and, and I, you know, I told him I said he, that's the best he's ever looked. You know. Look really good. It, it's exciting to see that. So, so um, please continue to remember uh, Ron and, and and particularly Cindy. I mean, Ron's got good care with doctors, but you know, that's a lot on Cindy. It's a really lot. And as I mentioned this morning, there, it's just such a life changing event for them, and that you just can't prepare for uh, as far as emotionally and, uh, and mentally and and financially. Which leads me to, you know, we are asking for volunteers to help out around the house. Uh, from inside cleaning to outside shrubs, mulch, you know, the yard, the, the flowers planting, all these different things. Uh, when, so when hopefully he comes in six weeks, he'll be able to come to a good clean home. We're going to try to contract a cleaning, professional cleaning service for all the carpet, uh, furniture, as well as, um, some other things there. So it's just, it's a lot's happening. Uh, Ken and I were just talking before the service and, and, and it's just amazing. We, and I hope Ken don't take it the wrong way, but we, we have insurance, but yet, you know, insurance doesn't pay for everything. We automatically think, okay, we got insurance. But in reality, it doesn't pay for everything. There's a lot of things that doesn't. And we're, we're seeing that Ken knows about that stuff, but, but we're learning that there's going to be a lot of cost here incurred that need to be taken care of. And that's, that's a burden, frankly, uh, on particularly Cindy. She's worried about that, you know, so we're trying to help. Uh, on this end and let her worry about Ron on that end. You know, that's that kind of our goal. So uh, continue to remember them in your prayers. It's a, it's a big, big deal. Um, but we're, and we appreciate all your support in the past and pray you might be able to help again in the future. Um, all right. Uh, and I think you heard about Bob uh, Wolf's comment this morning about, uh, what was the guy's name? Thank you, Ernie Haas. Big, it's a big name. I know he, he was telling me about it. Sorry, I couldn't remember his name, but uh, that's that's a that's uh, pretty impressive to be able to come here and be a part of that. And it's an interesting story. But but please pray for them as well uh, and their ministry there because it is a ministry. And again, if you uh, if, if you know, I noticed that uh, Beth Faulkner asked for some more help in a children's ministry work. So if you if you can do that. Uh, I'm sure she'd appreciate that. It's a, it's a good ministry. You know, our kids are our kids. You know, are, are, they're they're not our future. They're our present, and our future. So, so it's kind of exciting. They're starting a new thing down here. I don't know what's going on. What are you guys doing down here? <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> they're, they stand out, don't they? You know, and it's just so exciting to see pews with young ladies, young folks. It's it, for me. It's so exciting to see that. You know, uh, we didn't want to be part of the gray hair club, but we want to have some youth in here too. So we're excited about that. But anyways, um, so that's the, that's the announcements. Um, just uh, any any birthdays, Carol? You got a, you got one additional. Yeah. Sean Craze, family loss. Yeah. Oh, my. Well, uh, yeah, thank you for that reminder. And again, you know, the infant son, uh, Roger and Sherry Brady, great grandson, uh, just passed away as well. And, and uh, continue. You know, to remember, there's so many people, uh, the Ray Wetzel family, uh, you know, and, and uh, just, you know, so many people. Um, 
and so hold these folks up in your prayers as well. That's so important. But thank you for that update. Uh, I believe, as we said, Ann Baker's having surgery, I believe it's tomorrow, as well as, um, I'm just going from memory here, uh, was the um, Shirley Noble's procedures Tuesday night. And when I spoke this morning, it was that was uh, Judy Hembra. Uh, and I was thinking Hunt. I don't know why I was thinking Hunt. She just had surgery. Judy, if you don't know Judy, she's Roger. We prayed for him for years. I mean, long, long time, and he passed not that long ago. It's been fairly recent within the last few months. So here now, she's facing double mastectomy. So I mean, it's just it's just messed up. Okay, so it's just it's just bad. But please pray for her. And she's kind of here by herself. I mean, it's it's sad. So please remember these folks in your prayers as well. Um, is there um, any birthdays this week? Oh, Wilda. So Wilda is is going to be thirty nine for the how many time? <laughs> no, just, just that, don't answer that. <laughs> let's let's sing Happy Birthday. Anniversaries. You remember that? You got a tattoo underneath your watch or what? Four years. Four years? Oh, four, really? Forty years. That's wow. That's that's uh, quite a milestone. It really is. You know, that's great. <laughs> as much as I'm tempted to go there, I'm not going to do it. Okay. Um, <laughs> are any other anniversaries this week? You any anniversaries down here? Do you? Okay. <laughs> and no. <laughs> Dad said <saying> no. <laughs> All right. Let's sing happy anniversary to you. All right. Let's, if we will, let's take up the evening offering at this time. truly a blessing to be in your house and it's a blessing of all the uh, wonderful things you've uh, bestowed upon us and we come tonight Lord to thank you for that and just to, as we bring back a small portion to you pray Father you might just use it for your glory and as always might just guide us in truth and righteousness so we might serve you in a perfect way we ask these favors in Jesus name Amen it's time for the sermon Thanks, Dave. Man, I don't know what to do tonight. We have people on this side tonight. Frank and Dave, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you.
<laughs> Last week we um, saw God's verdict on Israel in the text. That's what we looked at. He presented his case for why Israel was guilty of covenant adultery. He pressed the point of her infidelity and he identified the foundational reason for her adultery as a lack of knowledge about him. In other words, they, Israel will be destroyed because they had no relationship with God. That's what it means that they didn't know him. Uh, from the priests to the people, Israel had gone after the provision and help of other gods while trying to maintain the provision and, or, or the ritual aspects of the religion that God had originally given to them. God was not fooled by that. And God was not pleased by that. Because they had no intimacy with God, they and their nation, even the land itself, would be forsaken. And the punishment for their guilt was God's abandonment of them. God intends to be known personally by those He saves, which is the reason for which He sent His own Son, finally, Jesus Christ, to be the Savior of His people. So that having all their sinfulness truly forgiven and all the righteousness God requires credited to their account, they would finally be able to know Him, which is what it means to have eternal life. And So in the book of Hosea, if you remember, it started out with children being born. So the book moves from the maternity ward, if you will, to the wilderness, to the slave market, to the law court, and now Hosea moves to the battlefield. The section tonight opens with a battle cry in chapter 6. God is going to send His wrath, and there will be no escape. And the pronouncement of this is so intense, it is so moving for Hosea, that he'll stop right in the middle of it to plead personally with his people. And by doing so, he opens the door for us to see more clearly just precisely what it is that Jesus Christ accomplishes for his people. God's provision of Jesus for us is the means by which His wrath is fully satisfied and His saving purpose is clearly magnified. Let's pray together before we read. Father, we thank You for Your Word tonight. I thank You, Lord, for everyone that's here. And I pray, Father, that all of us would be able to listen to Your Word and hear what You are saying to us in it. And Father, I pray for the help and comfort and peace and healing of all our souls, Lord, that we might look to you and be saved. And this I ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So let me read from Hosea 5, beginning at verse 8. I'm going to read down to verse 15. It says, Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm at beth Aven. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, because he was determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim, and like dry rot to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness in Judah, his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim. And like a young lion to the house of Judah, I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. The text tonight moves in two stages. All right. In the first stage, God tears. He tears. The reference to the horns here is a call to sound the alarm throughout Israel and Judah. Assyria is coming. Gebeah and Ramah, those come up, those are border towns along the southern edge of the northern kingdom of Israel, or they were, meaning that Assyria's coming invasion would sweep throughout the entire nation from the north to the south. It would devastate the entire northern kingdom. The destruction would be total. This is the day of punishment. It's the day. God is speaking of the ultimate reaction to the sins of the northern tribes. God said in 5.6, if you remember, that He would withdraw from His people. Verses 8-15 through 15 describe precisely what will happen when God does that. And this is sure. He says in verse 9, He's very careful to make that point. And if God withdraws, 
Israel is obviously defenseless. But in reality, what we find here, both kingdoms are threatened by the Assyrian invasion, the northern and the southern kingdoms. Israel was completely destroyed by Assyria. Judah became a vassal state in Second Chronicles 18, 16 through 21. There were issues in Judah. In verse 10, Judah was moving landmarks, that is, boundary markers. They were moving them, meaning they were also corrupted. They're going to try to take advantage of Israel's weakness by annexing its territory. So Judah needs to hear Hosea's message. She can't assume safety. She must turn to the Lord. So in verses 8 through 11, we have a warning here, this warning that an invasion is coming. We know from the larger text, again, that it's going to come from Assyria, but something much worse is going to happen. Verses 12 through 14 are a warning that God himself is coming in judgment. Let me read those again to you. Verse 12, But I am like a moth to Ephraim, and like dry rot to the house of Judah. When Ephraim, remember, another name for Israel, because in the northern kingdom, that was the largest of those ten tribes that made up Israel. So all of Israel is called Ephraim here. Verse 13, When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king. But he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. So we see a reference there in the text in verse 13 to the fact that when the Assyrian threat began to become apparent, all right, in the history of Israel, the king of Israel at that time, after Jeroboam II in the time of Hosea, tried to buy the Assyrians off. Pool, the king of Assyria, invaded, and Menahem bought them off with a tribute of a thousand talents of silver, thinking that that would, you know, placate them and they wouldn't invade and that would be enough. But then, Pool, the king of Assyria, just raised that sum by heavily taxing the people of Israel. All of that happened during Hosea's lifetime. When Israel saw that she was in danger then, she didn't turn to the Lord. King Menahem went to Assyria to try to heal the sickness in their land. Israel began to recognize that something was off. They began to recognize their plight, their corruption, their sickness, and to heal it, they sought the help of their enemy, this army that was going to invade them. This is how twisted we become in our rebellion. We look to our killer to heal us. That's what they were doing. And the cure then obviously was short-lived. Why? Because God was inflicting these wounds. Assyria couldn't heal these wounds. They were coming from the Lord. So a few years later, Assyria would return and would destroy Israel. What's the reason it didn't work to buy them off with silver? What's the reason that those, you know, the tribute they were exacting from the people, why didn't that take care of it? Why this reversal of desired fortune? Because it's none other than God the spurned husband that is making sure none of these plans work and come together. You don't cheat on God. He withdraws his protection, but he also actively participates in her judgment. Verse 12 and verse 14 are shocking verses for Israel. God will become the agent of decline and decay in Israel. God will tear them apart like a lion tears apart its prey. God will drag them off where no one can rescue them like a lion would. God often passively judges sins, if we can put it that way, in this life. We see this time and time again, giving people up or handing them over to their own wickedness. We see that the giving up and handing over is His wrath. It's it's judgment in one form. In Romans 1, 18-32, here in Hosea, the result of that giving over is the breakdown of everything. It corrupts everything, as it was for Israel in chapter 4. But God's judgment can also be, will be, proactive. God made hell. God created this place of eternal torment where unbelieving sinners will be judged for eternity, those who reject His Son. It's God that will swoop down on Israel. Assyria is the instrument of His judgment. They're in His hand. Hosea says God will be like a flood of water to Israel in verse 10, a devouring moth and corrosive rot in verse 12, a festering wound in verse 13, and a vicious lion in verse 14. The Assyrian army is the instrument of all of that driven by the hand of God Himself. And kind of the the focal point of this text is 
the result of this. When God tears you apart, no one can heal you. If God is doing the tearing, there is no one that can bind you up in verse 14. And after his devouring in verse 15, he'll return to his place like a lion returns, full and satisfied to its lair. So you have this, the horns are blowing. This invasion is coming. God is going to rip them apart. No one is going to be able to heal them. And God's prophet, in the midst of all of that, as he's here, as he's giving that to the people, you have this dramatic intervention here on the part of Hosea. He breaks in and he pleads with the people. Look at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6. He says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down and He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up. It sounds familiar. I wonder if that's going to happen anywhere else. That we may live before Him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. So in the first stage of the text as we're looking at it, God is tearing. In the second stage, the same God is healing. And listen to the passion of God's prophet pleading with the people to bring them back to the Lord. He says, let us know Him. Let us press on to know the Lord. He's trying to rouse them. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Hosea pleads with his people to repent because Hosea knows God. Right? He isn't making these things up because they sound nice. This is a man who drew near to his God in the furnace of affliction, being married to a woman who spurned him. God has torn Hosea, hasn't he? God has healed Hosea. Hosea, therefore, has a gospel to proclaim, to pull them back. Hosea hasn't forgotten the terms of the covenant. Hosea remembers Deuteronomy 30, verse 3. He knows that God will fulfill what he's promising here. He looks at the sun that comes up every day as a reminder that God has always responded in mercy to a people who repent, who look to him for mercy. And as sure as God will bring Assyria down upon Israel, it is just as sure that God is willing to forgive and restore all who turn to Him for forgiveness. And His response will be, in in 6, His response will be quick, is what Hosea is saying. He won't delay in verse 2. So Hosea's pleading is intense in verse 3. The single pursuit of the people has to be at this point to know the Lord. That's how everything is going to get restored. They've got to come back into a relationship with Him. And yet, the majority of these people, the vast majority of these people, never return to the Lord. So did Hosea plead in vain? Or did someone finally answer Hosea's pleading in Israel, beloved? Was there an Israelite who finally did such a thing? When Jesus Christ, the faithful and obedient Son, was torn by God and raised up by God on the third day, All those in him were reconciled to God and healed in order that they might finally know the Lord. Verses 13 and 14 reveal this troubling fact that we need to face. That if God is the one holding the sentence over our heads, if God is the one that tears, no one can heal. There's no way back except God himself. Only God's healing can heal God's tearing. So if God doesn't act in a wave of mercy and grace, no one is going to escape judgment. No one. Hosea's pleading word here required the cross. The cross is required in order for these things to come true. For at the cross, Jesus, the faithful Son of God, was torn apart for the healing of God's people. And in that tearing... We are made whole forever. God's provision of Jesus for us is the means by which all of His wrath is fully satisfied for us, towards us, and His saving purpose is clearly magnified. God is both the terror and the healer through which we are judged in Christ and saved by Christ. 
Stand back tonight. When you consider this, consider the wondrous works of God. Think about something for a minute. Why is this here? Right? Why has God judged Israel? Because she sinned against Him. Who decided that sin needed judgment? Right? Who decided that? God decided that. The, there's nothing outside of God forcing God to judge sinners. In other words, there is no universal law out there somewhere, outside of God, that in order for God to be just, or in order for God to deserve His divinity, that God has to adhere to. Right? God came before everything. God is first. God is the author, the creator of everything. The holy God must judge sin. We say that God has to judge sin. Why? Because God said God has to judge sin. That's it. God holds all the cards. There's there's nothing outside of Him that if God's going to be just, He has to do this. Says who? God. God. And so if we're guilty, if we're to be destroyed for our sin, it's God who's making that call. It's not anybody else. God is not rescuing us from some law about justice that we haven't met. Beloved, God is rescuing us from Himself. Saved. From what? God. God tears. And not only will God judge sinners, only God can judge sinners. And no one can rescue themselves from God. So if there will be salvation from God, only God can provide it. Hosea's appeal to Israel is to turn in repentance to the very God they have betrayed because where else can they go? Do you understand how desperate this situation is in our sin? We have no one to go to but the one against whom we have sinned. That's a predicament. You know, the, the, the guy whose son we murdered. we got to plead with him for mercy. The one who tears is the only one who can heal. And so when, when, when you and I look at the cross... Who is it that offered up the only sacrifice to God the Father that He accepts on behalf of sinners? Who finally took God seriously enough? God the Son. God the Son and only God the Son. So in the tearing is the healing at Calvary. His punishment is the salvation. What is our hope if when God tears, none can heal? Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Again, we, we part of the reason we're, we're going this route tonight is, is we have this tremendous ability to make every, every portion of Scripture about us. So when we read these things, we think, okay, this is what I have to do. Hosea 6 is not what you and I have to do. Hosea 6 has been done. All right? Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. When you read those verses, if you take them seriously, who in that crowd is going to turn to the Lord? Who in that crowd has the capacity in their nature to just up and say, you know what, we need to go back? Right? Nobody does. That, that's that's, the, that's the, the truth underlying salvation that makes it a thousand times, and a thousand is a very weak number, more beautiful than, I, than we tend to realize it is. Beloved, we have also betrayed. We have also spurned. We, what did we do? We followed the lustful passions of our flesh. We lived to indulge them. <clears throat> and if we're honest tonight, the scary thing is, since we became believers, it's not that we've stopped doing it. We've become more aware of the fact that we do it. 
all any of us have ever done from the cradle, from the cradle to the grave is act out of our own nature. It's what the Bible's telling us and have thereby become the only thing we could become. Children of wrath. Just like the rest of mankind. We are no different from adulterous Israel. And according to Hosea, what do children of wrath deserve from God? What do you get if you cheat on God? What do you get if you don't give Him the worship that He is due? What do you get if you run away from Him to other gods and other means of provision? And other, what, what do you get? You get torn apart. That's what happens. But God. Verse 4. But God, not me, not you. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us. See, He's responding to nothing in us. It's all because of who He is that there's salvation. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Did you grasp what we just read? So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The grace of God that saves... The grace that would accomplish God's prophetic word appeared once and for all in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is by the shedding of His blood and the offering of His perfect righteousness that children of God's wrath become children of God's grace. You notice how Paul, this, this is an amazing text. I mean, you, you could, you could camp out here and preach for months and not do it any injustice. Notice what how Paul does almost the same type of thing Hosea does back in chapter. He, he breaks into his discourse. He stops in the middle of it because he can't contain the beauty of God's grace. Look at this again. Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. You see that? That's, that's probably marked off somehow in your Bible, whether it's by dashes or whatever. He, he didn't need to make that nuance there in verse 5. He's going to say that a few verses down in verse 8. So why does he break in here? Why does he stop mid-sentence in verse 5 with this awkward intrusion into his flow of thought? By grace you have been saved. He's going to say it. He's, he's going to cover that point in just like three verses. Because that's the moment Paul realizes in this paragraph, that's right, my salvation is all of grace. From beginning to end, God made us alive together with Christ. That's right. That line, by grace you have been saved. God's making us alive is grace. Where were we? We were dead. Go to the cemetery and tell those people to raise themselves from the dead. Try it. Go there and say, get up. Or, or, or walk into a hospital where someone has died and say, no, 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 come back to life. Lay some medicine on the, 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 the little cart beside them that will heal them of their death and say, hey, take this. Take these pills. Come. Made us alive together with Christ. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We didn't save ourselves. You see, we didn't return first, and then God saved us. Dead people don't bring themselves to life. Dead people don't save themselves. It's too late for dead people to save themselves. That's why they're dead. So by grace you have been saved. Right? It turns out as we go through the flow of the Bible, how is any of this going to come to pass? How is anybody going to come to God? Well, God's going to make people alive and enable them to do it. That's, that's where we go next week. That's how John 10, 
that I, I know my own sheep by name, I call them, they follow me. You ever thought about why right after that is when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead? When he walks into a graveyard or to a tomb? And what does the shepherd say? Lazarus. Because he knows his sheep's name. Come out. So what does Lazarus do when he hears the voice of the shepherd? He gets up and comes out. That's a picture. That's Jesus proving what he said in John 10 is true. Now that's the sermon next week. Sorry. That's kind of where we're going. But it's, it's, it's too, it's, this is too good. Grace is too good. God raised you from the dead. You, you have a reason to celebrate for all of your salvation, even that initial belief, because it was a resurrection. God caused us to believe. The faith to believe is the gift of God. That's precisely what Paul is celebrating in this text. Why? Because Paul was dead. Like, like if God doesn't make dead people alive, dead people aren't coming back to life. Remember, if God's, if, if the judgment of God commands or, or demands death, we die. We're dead men walking, all of us. So he's got to do this. Grace, that, that's what Paul is celebrating here. Not 99% grace. 100% grace. God's unilateral action to save me. The God against whom I had sinned and under whose wrath I lived is the very God who saved me. Yes, I had sinned against Him. Yes, I had earned His wrath. Yes, I was spiritually dead because I was a slave to my nature and therefore could not save myself, but God. Is it not but me, but thank, thankfully, thankfully one day I realized the situation I was in and I, I brought myself to life and I believed. No, you did not. God made you alive, therefore you believed. There's nothing to argue here. Right? There's nothing to argue. It's, it's, it's right here. That's what's happening when somebody gets saved. It's again, that's why I don't get upset if nobody comes forward in an invitation. I don't get upset. God, God will do it in God's time. My, my, I am not the chef. I'm a butler. My job is to get the food to the table without messing it up. That's my job. God will bring sinners to life through His Word. He always has Always will. The same God whose wrath I deserved. So when he says, but God, it's that God. Who decided I was a child of wrath? God did. God did. But that God then. But how God? How did this God do? Where's the but God? How do you explain it? Nobody in here tonight has ever died for their sins. See, here comes the prophetic beauty, the, the prophetic beauty of Hosea 6, 1 through 3. How does God accomplish this? Because, beloved, it's because of Jesus that you and I will never hear the words spoken to us that were spoken to Israel. Because all the conditions of a faithful son have been met in Jesus Christ. Notice Paul's words here in Ephesians 2. And think of Jesus maybe like a second Adam if we can do that. All humanity was cursed when Adam fell because all humanity was where? Why are we cursed for Adam's sin? Because we were in Adam's DNA, right? We were in Adam when Adam sinned. Therefore, it's all transferred to us. Look at... Do you know why all of God's people are saved forever? Paul tells us right here. Because we were in the second Adam when he died. We were in Christ when he died, and in Christ when he was raised, and with Christ when he was seated victorious forever in the heavenly places. Do you realize what Paul is saying here? Made us alive together with Christ. When did that happen? Back then. Raised us up with Christ. When was Christ raised? Back then. Seated us with him in the heavenly places. When did Christ, That was when he ascended. All the way back then when it happened to him. What is Paul saying? Jesus really is a substitute, a representative of a new humanity. His sheep, his people. Paul is saying that when God raised him from the dead, vindicating him as the truly righteous and obedient son, God was raising us from the dead because we were in him. And Paul is saying that when God seated Jesus in the heavenly places to reign forever, He was seating us with Him. These are words we just read right over. 
We, we, I, we believe the Bible is the infallible, inerrant, inspired Word of God, and we just read over it so fast. I mean, look, look at these verbs are past tense. Jesus presented Himself faithful to the Father to be torn apart that all His people might be made whole. And as Hosea says, God would bring Jesus back to life on the third day that you and I may live forever with Him in the presence of our God. In Jesus, God's tearing wrath is satisfied and God's healing grace is magnified. All in Christ, all transferred to us, because we are in Him. God provided a faithful and obedient Son who was able to bear all His wrath and to save all His people. Therefore, because of Christ, there's no reason to fear tonight. Right? There's no double jeopardy. He took it all. He gives it all. God really is satisfied. Christ is magnified. You and I are justified. All through the work of the one true and faithful Son. See, Jesus is the only faithful and true Israelite. He's the only one who kept the covenant. All the promises, all the gifts, all the blessings, they go to Him. And as such, He is our representative. He is the true vine. He's going to say that in John 15. And you and I, believers, are in Christ. That's how we get all of these things. Because we're in Him. In Christ, God reverses all the just judgment and penalties we deserve. Because Christ balanced the books. Christ takes all the red out of the ledger. Christ satisfied God to the extent that you and I will never have to hear the threats of Hosea spoken to us. That's not why they're in the Bible. So that we shape up. No, 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 no. They are a picture now with the shadow of Christ cast back over them of what it would be like if there was no perfect substitute so that you and I will live in Hosea 6.3. What do we do? We press on to know the Lord. That's what we do. Let us know, beloved, let us press on to know the Lord, to know the One who has done all of this for us. Because He's proven in Christ that His going out to rescue us is as sure as the dawn and the rains that water the earth. Remember this. Remember whenever you read the Old Testament prophets, these things were written down for our instruction. The prophet Hosea's main place, his main purpose in the design of God, his ultimate purpose according to God's Word, 1 Peter 1, 10-12, was to serve us today, the church, to move us towards God with His story, with His words, as He predicted in His own way the coming death and resurrection of God's true Son, our substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ. That was Hosea's job. We find that in Peter. And Hosea didn't even really realize that. We also find that in Peter. Right? It's, it's, there's, there, there's always talk in theological circles, you know, that this, this idea of replacement theology. Does the church replace Israel? No, no, no. Jesus fulfills Israel. It's a different thing altogether. God turns in love to those who come to him in brokenness of spirit. He always has. He always will. God saves Sinners. Right? The Bible never sees any tension where we see tension. Right? How do you reconcile this with the fact that you're supposed to turn and believe? I don't reconcile friends. I, they're, they're both true at the same time. There's no need to... We just It's deeper than we can understand. There's, there's no reason to get flustered about it. God saves sinners not by finding faithful sons out there, but by providing one faithful son who fully obeyed the Father and as that perfect sacrifice fully absorbed God's wrath and in so doing fully saved forever all of God's people. There's no way we will ever return enough, ever obey enough, ever work hard enough to satisfy God's wrath or measure up to His holiness. Churches need a different narrative. Because... Normally the narrative is work, 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 work. Do, 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 do. I know do, do is funny, but it is what it is. 
Just keep doing, keep working. Are you serving? Are you serving? Are you serving? Are you serving? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying my salvation. That's what I'm doing. And God somehow makes sure that everything that needs to get done gets done. So we should be singing a different song. All Jesus, all what he did. We need, humanity has always needed a substitute to obey these commands, to do what God tells us to do. A faithful son with whom God would be well pleased. It's not just a throwaway term that when Jesus came up out of the water, the dove landed on him and remained on him, John said, is careful to say in John 1. Beloved, when that voice came out of heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, you and I are meant to breathe a massive sigh of relief. We don't even look at it that way, do we? We don't even think about it as, as because that doesn't look like a command that we're supposed to do, so we don't know what to do with a text like that. Jesus is the faithful son. We get in on his back. In Christ, God did all the necessary tearing to fully heal all who come to him by grace through faith. Believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. Believe in Jesus Christ. That's the calling. I want to be doing the work of God. This is the work of God, that you believe the one whom he has sent. Right? None of the other commands are what save you. No. No, we, we believe in Christ. We believe in Christ. That's what we need to do. That's what we all need to do. Let me pray for us. Linda will come. We'll sing a closing hymn. I'll be down front. If any of us, if any of you need to come and pray for any reason, I'll be here. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time that you've given us tonight. God, I pray that when we walk away tonight, we would just wait for a while and listen to your word. Lord, everything in us from the deepest places of who we are will never be okay with this grace thing. But God, that's where abundant life is. And so I'm, I'm, I'm praying for the impossible at Moundsville Baptist Church. God, I'm, I'm praying for it with all my might. Lord, we, we are dealing in eternity here. We're dealing with what's really at stake, our souls. And so, Father, I pray that you not let the enemy send us on a million different detours as to what really matters. Lord, protect your people. Watch over them as they mull over these things in their heads. Lord, please lead them to you. Please watch over them. Please keep them in your love and in your grace and in your care. I ask tonight that you would move in our midst for the sake of those that need you and have your way. And I ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.